Hi, this is Lauren Engel of Sidewalk Talk. We do a lot of interviews with EDM artists, pop artists, rappers, and people in the industry, letting you know what they do behind the scenes. Also, make sure to follow us on Instagram and Twitter through the handle Sidewalk Talk Show. Hope you guys enjoy. This is Lauren Engel of Sidewalk Talk. Today I'm here with Anna Kana. Hi! <laughs> so you're originally born in California or? Yeah, my dad's military so I moved around every two to three years. Mm-hmm. But I've been in LA now for eight years. We're in California originally. Uh, Monterey. Oh, yeah. okay. And then what does your mom do? Uh, my mom's a homemaker. So oh. she stayed at home and she raised three kids. Probably the harder of both jobs. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and where did you move uh, when you were growing up? I was in North Carolina, Japan, Hawaii, Virginia, all over the place. And your mom's originally from? Uh, the Philippines. Oh, okay. Yeah. And then how did they meet? Uh, my dad was stationed in the Philippines. He was a Marine Corps officer. Yeah. And uh, she was a waitress. Mm-hmm. And they had like a little meet cute and started dating. Are you still really connected to your family in the Philippines? Uh, yeah, my bo- we have a huge family. My dad has seven brothers and sisters and so does my mom. My mom mm-hmm. has seven brothers. So it's a huge family. It's kind of hard because everyone's scattered all, all over the planet. But we have reunions every once in a while. And how, how often do you go back there? Uh, not often. I've only been I twice. feel like I've been back more. Yeah. <laughs> my mom yeah. grew up, well, like, I'm from Hong Kong, uh-huh. but then my mom grew up in the Philippines, so then I used to go back, like, three times or something. Oh, oh my, my gosh. God. <laughs> you get it. Yeah. <laughs> And how big was the, like, Filipino culture in your upbringing? Um, huge. I mean, my mom was, like, it's oddly enough, like, food-wise, all Filipino food, but, like, language, my mom didn't want us to learn Tagalog. Yeah. She thought it was, like, the poor man's language, Mm. so we learned Japanese instead. Oh, okay. (laughs) So I also asked this for, um... A lot of people who I've interviewed who are like mixed race and me too. Mm-hmm. Um, were you, did you ever have any like identity issues growing up? Oh, a hundred percent. So many identity issues. Yeah. You're like not American enough for America. You're not Asian mm-hmm. enough for Asia. You're just like, who am I? What am I? Am I good enough? Yeah. yeah. And what, so how were you able to like overcome or like what were the obstacles oh, you had back then? I don't know. I felt like I, I had this weird, unique experience where I didn't know I was Asian until I was like much older. Mm-hmm. And then I, I lived in predominantly Asian countries till I was a teenager. And yeah. I came here and I experienced racism for the first time. So that was like a weird culture shock to me. Yeah. Like my first day at high school in Temecula, California, this guy was like, go back to China, you chink. And I was just, I wasn't even offended. I was like, oh, I'm Japanese, you yeah. silly boy. You can't even tell the difference. You're an yeah. idiot. Yeah. <laughs> and did your parents like teach you anything or? Um, about, about racism? <laughs> no, not or really. Or about like um, when people say stuff like that to you? No, I, I found it really amusing at first. And yeah. then once I found out it was like a systematic thing in the States that could actually affect your career I was like oh shit and that's when I sort of had to really deal with racism Mm -hmm. and having like a Filipino background were you always into like karaoke and like singing oh all the time yeah Yeah. I mean I'm a musician now so it's like karaoke but you don't have to share your parents sing but they try they try What kind of music were you into? Or what kind of music were they playing in the house back in the day? They were playing Celine Dion, oh, The Carpenters, okay. Paul Anka, uh, Beatles. So I grew up on their tastes 100%. Mm-hmm. And what kind of, do you remember like the first CD you bought? The first CD I bought was Britney Spears. Nice. Yeah. yeah. And, and were you already singing like back in the day? Um, I was. I wasn't very good when I started out. I didn't really understand how to use my instrument. And um, 
But I, I like loved the Spice Girls, obviously, and yeah. I think everyone my age when we were growing up, we all wanted to be a pop star. So, mm -hmm. yeah. <laughs> did you do Did you do instruments? Uh, yeah, I I uh, play piano, and then I'm very mediocre at guitar, but I play guitar <laughs> as well. Did you take? Well, how old were you when you started those instruments? Uh, piano, I started as like a little girl, so maybe like seven, and guitar I picked up in my teenage years. And then you were doing a lot of lessons, like did you, did your oh, parents yeah. push you so hard The Asian it? lessons, yeah. yeah, they're like, you're going to be in piano, but I had a Japanese teacher, and I couldn't really understand what she was saying, because I didn't have the language at the time, so it was mm -hmm. very confusing, so I learned mostly by memorization as a yeah. young kid. How would you describe yourself back then growing up? Oh man, obnoxious, I was so obnoxious. Really? Yeah, it was Why? so annoying. I don't know, I was just like not self-aware of like social cues, and like, just really loud and like attention seeking. I think most of us who end up in entertainment, you like, <laughs> like you channel all of that annoyingness into like your art, and that's mm -hmm. how you get your fill of that. So you yeah. can chill out in real life. But you have, uh, but then were you the like a middle child or oldest child? I'm or? the oldest. Oh, okay. Yeah, so I was kind of like the perfect child, you know, the responsible <laughs> one. <laughs> Which of your parents were you more similar to? I'm definitely more like my dad. So my mom is very like life of the party, really funny, really yeah. extroverted. My dad's more introverted and like disciplined mm. and organized. And I definitely feel like I identify more with my dad, but I can take on my mom's persona when like I really need to. Yeah. Were you into school growing up? Oh yeah, I loved school. I thought I was gonna be a vet. Yeah, so yeah. You, I mean, you get you did really well in school. Then. Yeah, did your yeah. parents push you or just kind oh, of? Oh yeah, you? they were like such Asian tiger parents. Yeah. So I was like, get good grades, become a doctor, blah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, but why being a vet? Like, was that something that? I just loved you? cats. Yeah. yeah, I loved animals so much, and I always thought I was going to go into the military and become a veterinarian oh, wow. and help animals out through the military. And yeah. so that was my goal for like 19 years. Oh wow. Yeah. And I guess your parents were really supportive of that. It just sounds like, yeah, like, yeah, we, we have the connections, like, you have the grades, like, let's do it. Exactly. <laughs> they were, like, so on board. Yeah. What were your um, favorite subjects in school? I loved English. I loved writing essays. Mm. I loved reading. Um, I would often take tests for people if they paid me as a kid. No way. Yeah. They were already doing that back then. Yeah. It was, like, a little side hustle of mine to make money. Did your was... parents know? No. <laughs> they did not. <laughs> they would not have approved. Wow. That's crazy. <laughs> and what were you doing in your free time back then when you were growing up? Um, I was drawing a lot. I loved drawing. I would make songs. I would put on pretend plays. I would write. I really loved just exploring different art forms as a kid. Cause, you know, you get bored and we didn't have phones back then. So you're like, I'm just going to try a bunch of stuff. What happened after you finished high school? I did like two semesters of community college. Uh, dropped out and then pursued stand-up comedy. Yeah. What were your parents reaction when you wanted to drop out? They did not approve, yeah. but they saw me do stand-up and then they were like, oh, okay, we get it. What was the... Did you just stop liking, like... Did you realize that... What, was it a crazy turning point that you realized you didn't want to be a vet anymore? Yeah. Because you had that in your mind for like 19 years, so it's like a hard thing to suddenly give up. Yeah, I mean, my sister... Um, committed suicide mm -hmm. when I was 17 and she was 13 and that was kind of when I realized oh uh, I am gonna die and what do I want my life to actually be and so from that moment forward I was like I've always wanted to be in entertainment but that never seemed like a real possibility and so that's what I sort of went towards. How did you decide on sign up? I feel like it's like pretty specific compared to like acting in general. Well I saw Margaret Cho perform. Yeah. 
and it was the first time I laughed in like two years and like I forgot yeah. I forgot my sister was dead for like a second and I was like oh that's such a beautiful gift to give someone you mm -hmm. know like to let them escape their pain for a little while and so I wanted to pay that forward and give it to others mm -hmm. were y'all always watching like comedic films back in the day oh yeah I loved yeah. comedy yeah What's, what were your favorite films back then oh man I mean actually a lot of my favorite films were more like actiony like I loved mm -hmm. Kill Bill. Um, I loved the Goofy movie, although that's not very actiony. I guess it's not <laughs> comedic. You know, I loved all the Disney stuff, so I was like really into like classic Disney stuff. All the Quentin Tarantino films, even mm -hmm. though my parents surprisingly let me watch all that really mature stuff when I was no growing way. up. Yeah, yeah. rewatch the stuff. I'm like, wow, this is crazy. Yeah, <laughs> your parents let you. Asian parents let you. Yeah. <laughs> and how were you able to like hold your family together like through your sister's passing? Um, well, we sort of came together as a family and did group therapy. We all sort of grieved on our own, and then when I started pursuing the arts is when we really were like, oh, okay, this is a way for us to talk about trauma in a way that is also funny. Yeah. What kind of advice do you have for someone who's dealing with, like, a sibling or a close one passing? Oh, man, get into therapy. Mm -hmm. I think therapy was instrumental in me coping with my grief, and, like, you don't realize it, but when you lose someone, everyone develops coping mechanisms in different ways and they're usually unhealthy mm -hmm. we don't have we're not taught how to have healthy coping mechanisms for death and so I would say like I would self-sabotage a lot I would make really toxic decisions because I didn't feel like I deserved to be happy there was a lot of survivors guilt that I had to deal with and it was through therapy I was able to realize the ways in which I was like ruining my life because mm -hmm. I didn't feel like I deserved to you know have fun or be happy or live yeah. Were your parents aware when you were turning to alcohol or partying? Not really. Um, not really at all, no. So I guess it was just like through yourself that you were able to like, when you were going through that phase and through therapy that you were able to figure out and how much of, um, what's that word? How, what was the role they played when you were grieving? My parents? Yeah. I mean, we're an Asian family, so we're pretty separate yeah, in terms of like keeping our feelings to ourselves and mm -hmm. so, we all kind of grieved on our own, you know? Mm -hmm. What was the turning point that, were you always doing music through when you were doing YouTube or how was yeah. it like? I did comedy music for a long, long time as a way to deal with stuff and like make funny, jokey songs. Yeah. So I was always writing serious music, but I never shared it. Mm -hmm. And what was the, like what kind of topics were they about? Uh, usually like heartbreak, at least the serious ones were usually about heartbreak or the toxic relationships I was in. The funny stuff is, you know, about a friend who flakes on you all the yeah. time, or the one that got away, and it's about a guy I had in my basement who got away. So, silly stuff like that. Were you practicing, or you taking singing lessons through it, or? Um, I actually started taking singing lessons about six years ago. Oh, okay. Yeah. Wow, so like a, like a weekly thing, or? Yeah. I no wonder, I was like, <laughs> you kept up your voice like since then. So was there something like urging you that you wanted to release more of like a full song since that time? Or was it, what was the turning point that you realized like now was the time? Um, well, I love comedy. It served me well in, in like the 10 years I did it. But I started to get to a point where I realized like comedy is an escape and I, I'm becoming, you know, a full grown woman. I don't want to mm -hmm. escape anymore. I want to put art out into the world that like helps people. And like I've had so much art in my life help me feel less alone and help me feel seen. And 
with music, I was particularly inspired to start releasing serious stuff because a boyfriend of mine was like, "This is good, you know. You should yeah. you should make an album. You should pursue this. You you're doing it, but like you seem too scared to ever put anything out there." And I was really emboldened by his advice. And the more I thought about it, the more I was like, "Yeah, music has had such a special place in my life, and I would love to give someone else the kind of comfort that I've received from that medium." Mm -hmm. Well, other than him, was there like a different um, change in mindset or was it really because of him that you... No, the... I mean, I, I'd been contemplating quitting comedy for some time, but mm -hmm. I didn't want to give up live performance. Yeah. And so I think when he really encouraged me to do music, I was like, oh yeah, like I can perform music live and I can say goodbye to comedy. And it just felt like a very natural transition and he gave me a little nudge. And how did you meet your producers or people that you make music with? Um, I actually met them through a friend of mine. So my ex-vocal teacher started dating my ex oh my gosh yeah. and I was like well I can't learn voice from you anymore so I asked some friends for some recommendations and they introduced me to Jenga Productions which makes up Nietzsche, Funicelli, Jim Funicelli and Cheon Daniels and in learning with them I became very close friends with them and they found out I found out they produced music as well so we started doing that together and so I've been working with them for like two years and was it difficult going from like writing your but like more comedic music to writing more serious music? Uh, serious music felt a little easier. With oh, comedic music, everything's set up punch, set up punch, like yeah. you have to make people laugh a lot, so yeah. How about working um, in sessions with producers, or is that something that you're really used to at this point? I think I'm used to it at this point, at least with mine. You know, you do writing sessions with a variety of producers, but mm -hmm. um, I don't know, I find it to be a very joyous and fun process. Yeah. yeah. Was it difficult for you to be vulnerable in those sessions? At first, yes. Yeah. <laughs> but I think you slowly get accustomed to it and then, you know, you get the rewards of vulnerability. I guess going being like going from YouTube to music, you didn't want to be like stereotyped into like that mu YouTube to music like crossover or was that yeah. something that didn't cross your mind at all? I mean, that's something that we've tried to be conscious of because yeah, a lot of YouTube people are trying to transition into music or acting or, you know, everyone who does both and for some weird reason there's a stigma against yeah. it even though YouTube is just a platform and what I've done on YouTube is vastly different. It's mostly mental health advocacy and comedy. Mm -hmm. um, but I mean, it's something to be mindful of, but at the same time, an artist is an artist, you yeah. know? People are multifaceted and want to do different things. And I think a stigma is just a way to keep people in a box and mm -hmm. like tear people down. Yeah. yeah. Do you, have you felt like there are some people in the industry who are more hesitant? because you were mostly from YouTube or you haven't faced that? Yeah, I mean, I faced that as an actor, I faced yeah. that as a musician. There's just a stigma that people have that you aren't as legitimate if you come from YouTube. So mm -hmm. it's annoying, but it happens. Yeah. yeah, and how about, do you have a separate team for music or how does that work? Yeah, I have a red light management for music and then I have a CAA in the Cornell group for all my film and acting. How did you meet red light? Um, actually, I met them through a, a music strategist uh, named Mary Gormley who runs Connect the Dots. and. She'd sort of reached out to various people, and I met Jordan from Red Light and Stephanie and Tamara, and we all just very much clicked. What were the main topics for intervention that you wanted to bring to light? Uh, well, I struggled with alcohol abuse when I was like in my early 20s, and mm -hmm. I sort of got a hold of it, and then it got a hold of me again in my late yeah. 20s. So it was sort of like I promised to myself to get things back in order, and I wanted an empowering song about you know owning your own shit and being mm -hmm. self-aware. And what was the inspirations for the music video? Um, the inspiration for the music video actually was the Donald Glover's show Atlanta, season two, the mm -hmm. teaser. We'd seen it and we loved that device as a way to kind of showcase someone who's stumbling through life when they're drunk. 
And uh, how about like all the cuts and everything? I feel like it's so, so specific for, like, I just love the cuts Thank so much. Thank you. Yeah. Well, yeah, my director, Auden Bowie, was really intentional about how she wanted to match cut stuff. We'd done a short together called When I Wanted to Die earlier that year in which I was very intentional about the match cuts and she loved how that came out. And so to honor sort of that style and to stay in line with my brand, we were like, okay, this is a great thing to carry over because they're both very serious topics. Mm -hmm. And what are the, are they the same themes and inspirations for your upcoming album? Um, the album, the overarching theme for the album is just overcoming various kinds of heartbreak. So there's songs about domestic abuse, there's songs about suicide ideation, but everything is about just sort of overcoming. Are you done with it now? Oh, it's totally done. Yeah. I have 13 music videos. Well, two oh, have been wow. released so far, yeah. yeah. So the remaining 11 are going to be released slowly throughout the year. Mm -hmm. Actually, what's the idea for doing, I guess there's a music video for every song, right? Yeah. I feel like that's pretty uncommon, so yeah. <laughs> what made you want to do that? Well, I have a filmmaker background, so... Most of my audience knows me for a visual medium, and mm -hmm. vi visual mediums are what I've honed my craft in for like 12 yeah. years. And so I'm new to music in terms of like releasing serious music, but I was like, my strengths lie in visual, and my audience mainly lies in that sort of platform. So the smartest thing it felt like to do was to create a visual album so that people who can see my visual content also become audio listeners. And also, it was just like a really fun artistic project yeah. to do. How, how were you able to think of the music videos for all of them? Are they Is there like a storyline throughout? Or? There isn't a storyline throughout. I initially wanted to do that, but it felt it felt a little difficult to, to force that narrative on mm. all of them. So instead, I took them piecemeal. Um, I was like, you know what, the overarching themes sort of connect together, but I think each music video should have its own visual piece that fits it best. Mm -hmm. Is the style kind of all the same or? No, there, it, it differs. There are different directors for each one, so they've sort of lended their style. Auden Bowie directed the majority of the visual album, so in terms of like, the cinematography, it's very similar throughout. For the style of music, do you have specific inspirations, like other artists? Yeah, I like to describe myself as Taylor Swift meets K-Play. Okay, yeah. yeah. <laughs> That's cool. What was the turning point that you realized that you wanted to come out? Um, actually, that was a surprise to me. I was really drunk when I came out. <laughs> so uh, sometimes it could be yeah, good. <laughs> I wasn't intending to, but... I don't know, I think my drunk mind was just like, you know, really in awe of all these influencers speaking up about people needing to go vote because mm. of the state of our country. Yeah. And I also wanted to contribute to that conversation in a meaningful way. And before I knew it, I was like, I want queer, I want that. And I was like, oh, there we go. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> Were you so shocked when that happened? Or are you like, it's about yeah. time anyway. I mean, I, it's so funny because I was having a conversation with my friend that like, the week of, and I was like, yeah, I'm bisexual, but I'm probably never going to come out. And then, like, literally immediately come out. What was the decision that you didn't want to come out before? I didn't feel like, like, I'm not a, like, bisexuality to me, I always thought you had to be 50-50, you know? Mm -hmm. And I'd never dated women. I'd never, like, been with women sexually. And so I felt like it was sort of unfair for me to come out in that regard. And um, until I talked to some bisexual friends who are like, no, like it doesn't have to be 50-50. You could be 10-90, you could be 95-5. All forms of bisexuality are valid. Mm -hmm. And then I was like, oh, okay. And it took me a long time to even just own the label because I felt so, I don't know. I had a lot of internalized homophobia mm. myself. From, I guess, your, from your Asian background or what was it from? Just from society, like things yeah. that you don't even think about, like subconsciously mm -hmm. sinking into your psyche as a young adult. Well, at what age did you realize that you were bi? Uh, probably like 11. Oh, okay. I told a friend I was like kind of into this girl and she told me I was just trying to be interesting. 
And I was like, oh, okay, all right. I guess I'm just seeking attention. <laughs> was this still when you were in Asia or? Um, no, that was when I was, was it when I was in Asia? Yes, actually, yeah. I was at like oh. a little camp there. So maybe that's why I didn't go over to Yeah, all. she was just like, no. <laughs> How about for your parents? Did they know all along or? Um, no, they weren't surprised by any means, but mm -hmm. they definitely didn't know. So did they also find out from the awards or? Yeah. No way. Yeah. What was the reaction, do you know? They were really supportive, actually. Yeah. They were super awesome about it. Mm -hmm. How do you say you've grown as a person compared to when you were younger? Oh man, so much. I've just become so much more aware of like why I am the way I am and how I can be a much more compassionate human being. I guess I've just matured a lot emotionally. I've learned how to cope with feelings. I've learned how to make space for others to have different opinions without feeling so much emotional reactivity to it. Values have grown stronger. Mm -hmm. Yeah. What does love mean to you? Love? I think it's... A Giving space for another person to be them and not needing anything from them. Yeah. yeah. Last question, what do you want to be remembered for? Ooh, God, that's a good one. I want to be remembered for being someone who inspired others to find their best selves and to embody their best selves. Like I truly believe my best friend gave me this bracelet and it says inspire in Morse mm -hmm. code. And she's oh, like, wow. because you inspire others. And it means so much to me because I was like, I never thought of it that way, but yeah. I would love to just be an inspiration to other people, to either do better or be better or like help others. Like that's such a meaningful thing. I've been inspired all the time by so many different artists and it's so energizing and it makes you feel yeah. so alive to be inspired. So if I can give that to someone else, that's pretty rad. Mm -hmm. I love that. This is awesome. Thank, Thank you. you so much. Thank you. Bye.
and that's kind of how that works. Now, normally we used to write as, you know, when we were four people, there'd be four people in a room. But like I said, Josh is there. Uh, since he's been like in LA, since we moved over here, I think just hanging around, hanging around with a whole bunch of people on Disciple, it's like they almost treat music production like a game. It's, it's, it's like, you know, like, let me see your new IDs. Like, you know, and people go, go home and whip up two or three new ones. It's, um, it's just like the, the speed at which people are making like really sick playable music has just gone tenfold in the last few years. So now that Josh is kind of like on that, it's, yeah, it's like, you know, if you, if you blink, you might miss a tune. Mm -hmm. um, I know we made a drum and bass one last night. I saw him tweet about it. So, <laughs> you know, but that's, mm -hmm. that's the nature of it. When, when inspira inspiration is, is, is kind of striking, you've got to go with it. What does success mean to Modestep? Ooh, that's a very difficult question. To be honest, I'm, I'm, I'm fairly certain we can consider ourselves successful. The amount of stuff we've come, kind of come through. Mm -hmm. um, and we're still an act, you know. It's been almost 10 years for, for Josh um, and six for me. So. Um, yeah, no, I, I'd say, I'd say what is success? Will you ever know if you're killing it at the time? Probably, probably not. You'll probably look back after six months or a year and be like, holy fuck, man, that summer festival season killed it. But, yeah. you know, you won't know until you're on your headlining dates playing to, you know, an, an eighth of that many people. You won't know until, you know, you feel it. You know, there's certain sobering things in, in, in the music industry that will kind of make you feel like unsuccessful and there's ones that will make you feel like you're a king, so. Mm -hmm. You just gotta take the rough with this move. Yeah, we have. I'd say we're successful. Yeah. Right? And, and like stupidly lucky to be able to do it. Dubstep took a dip, and like our own country, where where it's from, wouldn't play it on the radio. You know, it, it was getting no love. So, for for Josh to have kind of kept playing dubstep, even in all of that climate, mm. you know, he, you know, when you could have been playing house and other things. You know, and I'm not naming names, I'm not chatting shit, I'm just saying, like, there's a certain amount to be said for acts that don't, you know, stray too far from the path of the cause. So, like, I always say the same band comes back to them every time, but Iron Maiden have done the same record for, like, 35 years. It's always the same branding, it's the same type of tunes, it's, it's like, that's why they're, they're still relevant and they're still big today and still selling sh shows out, because you know, they've given their fan base exactly what they want. So once you have a fan base, which most of have, it's really important to not alienate them or push them away and give them stuff that they, they don't want or, or, or are interested in. You know, yeah. you, you know, but at the same time as playing to like the people that make you a band, you got to keep yourself happy and mm -hmm. fulfilled. So it's, it's a balance. Yeah, it's a I love balance. this. Yeah, thank you so much. No worries, no worries. <laughs> Bye.